0: Uh, all right. So there, there were a number of questions last week about specifically about good soil and I want to try to do my best to answer those some of those questions or at least deal with that issue a little bit. And I don't I just want to say a couple things. First of all, this is not in any uh sense a full explanation or a right or completely correct view. I don't claim that it is at all. I don't want anyone to, as always, take me very, I don't want you to take me very seriously. I mean, I think that the things I'm describing are things that are real and true, otherwise I would uh, not say them. And and I think that they bear the witness of the Spirit and the testimony of Scripture. But uh, my, my, my point isn't to try to fully explain these things or even to, and it's certainly not to make you think that I fully understand them, nor <clears throat> nor do I ever want to argue uh with people some of these things can be a little bit contentious and I know that there's been some uh debating I've tried to mostly just kind of stay out of that about some of these things recently and I don't find that valuable it's not in my heart to do that so and uh I just I just I guess what what's in my heart is to try to for those who honestly are a little bit confused about it or have a real desire to maybe see things a little bit more clearly, what it means to be good soil, that, that, then I want to speak a few things to you, and and then just kind of leave it with that. So, let me start by saying this. I believe that in, in the truest sense of the word, we are... Souls. That's what I I think. That you are a soul. You're a soul that has a body for a time, and you're a soul that is a vessel. The soul is a vessel. The body is is a vessel for the soul, but the soul is a vessel created to bear the the, the kingdom, the nature, the increase, the glory of of a nature or of a king or of a spirit. I think you could say there's a spirit uh, that is from God. And there is a spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. And our soul at birth is filled with when when we're born into what uh, the scripture refers to, I think as the first birth or uh, born of our mother's womb then we're, we're not born neutral.'re we're born we're, we're a soul that's a vessel but the vessel is born entirely filled with and governed by a nature. And that nature is the nature of sin which is also I believe just I think it's the, that's the same thing as saying that that we're governed by Satan. Not not to necessarily say that sin and Satan are synonymous. I don't necessarily believe that, but I believe that sin is the nature of Satan, and it is also the nature, his nature, the nature of the serpent. We chose that seed in the beginning. We ate that seed in the beginning. That's what Adam ate. He ate a, a fruit, but the fruit there was seed in that fruit, and, the, and, and so to speak, I think figuratively speaking, uh, Satan's nature. The nature of sin, the nature of darkness, the nature contrary to the spirit of God. Uh, the spirit It's often called the spirit of the world, the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. That nature rules all things in the first birth. And and therefore, the Adamic man is uh, the kingdom of darkness. He, He doesn't just struggle with the kingdom of darkness. He is the kingdom of darkness. It's worse, the problem's bigger than we usually understand. The soul is born a vessel, but a vessel perfectly enslaved and twisted up and bound to, twisted up in, entangled with, bound to, filled with the nature of sin, which is the, which is the natural condition of of Adam. Therefore, the adamic man, the natural man born into sin, governed by sin in itself. So so that natural man, now when I say the natural man, I'm talking about the soul and the the nature that is in it, the soul uh, which is completely defined by and governed by the nature. I don't even think that the natural man makes a distinction between his soul and his nature. I think as far as he's concerned, that's all that there is. You don't even understand that distinction until something else appears in your soul, and I'll get to that in a little bit. So so now I'm talking about the Adamic man, the natural man, which is the solical man, which is the man whose whose soul is filled with the the and governed by the nature of sin that man is completely dark completely dead alienated from god without hope okay i don't believe that in his natural state apart from grace he can even desire god i don't think that's true um i um, I, I all of it seems to me that the bible says and it seems in my heart that it has come into view That all the thoughts of his heart and the imaginations of his heart are only evil all the time. He's perfectly fallen. He's totally depraved. He is governed by sin and completely content to seek his own natural temporal gain for purely selfish reasons all the days of his life. And left to himself, that's exactly what he does. That's exactly what he will do forever. And so his seeming that the natural man's seeming righteousness is filthy rags, his good is just evil masked, his love is lust, and we could go on down the list. I'm trying to describe all, all of that stuff about the natural man. So that's the condition I believe of that the first that the soul is in in the first birth, the birth of of, of flesh, and and yet the lord knows the bondage of the soul the lord is aware of that he didn't create souls to to live in bondage to sin and death and darkness he created souls to um to live as the as the temple for his glory the kingdom for his reign and and the land for his harvest, and so he knows that the soul is in bondage to the serpent. It's in—it's like Egypt in bondage to Pharaoh. It is in bondage to the God of this world, the Prince of the Power of the Air, uh, the Pharaoh that that gives man tasks that he's not even able to 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 complete, and whips him while he does it. You know, that's the picture that you have in Je- in Exodus. So. The Lord is good, and he is kind, and he is overflowing with mercy and goodness. And he wants to liberate the soul and bring it under a, a new covenant, a glad subjection to himself. He wants to save the soul from the slavery to sin. He wants to pull a people out of Egypt into a covenant with him. Uh, And and, and in that covenant, if the soul continues on with the Lord, finds himself dwelling and and abiding and experiencing a land flowing with milk and honey. And so, into the soul of man, into the vessel that's completely filled with darkness and is completely dark and evil... Into the soul or, or heart of man. I think those words are synonymous. I even think that the New Testament uses the word mind uh, uh, several times. Not not brain, but mind to refer to the soul. I think that that's the case in a number of places. The renewing of the mind or uh, with the flesh we serve the law of sin, but with the mind we serve, serve the law of God uh, in Romans uh, 7. I, I, w- w- there are several verses that... Um, or several different words that I think speak of this inner man. Into that heart, the Lord sows the seed of life, the seed of light, the seed of grace. He scatters it everywhere, everywhere he can find it. I just found a bunch of seeds in under my uh, hood of the car. And uh, I mean, I don't know how they got there, but it was a whole bunch of maple tree seeds jammed in the hood of my under the under the hood of my car. And and I don't know how they got there but man they must have found a crack. And and that's what the sower does. He's a very generous sower. He's incredibly he's he's incredibly kind and so he sows these seeds of light and these seeds of grace and these seeds of truth. And Jesus did that. That's what he did in his in his earthly ministry, that's what he does. He, he, he Into the heart of man, he sows, he scatters these seeds into a soul that is completely in bondage to Satan. Sons of the devil, as Jesus said to the Jews. Slaves of sin, as Jesus also said to the, to the Jews. Taken captive by the enemy, as Paul says. And that light, that seed of light, or, or virtue or truth, or life, or, or however you want to describe it, that grace of God that's in that seed, it shines in the darkness where it lands. It, sh- it lands in the soul, and it, it shines as a witness and a testimony against the nature that is governing there. It, it sh- it's like Moses going into Egypt and giving signs to, remember, he came in and got, he says, what if they don't even believe me? God says, so show them these signs. And the signs were pictures of what God wanted to do with his people. He wanted to throw down your staff, grab the staff, and bring it back to yourself. You know, That's what he wanted to do. He wanted to take this cursed people and bring it to himself. Take out your hand, that will be leprous, bring it into your bosom, and I'll make it clean. And although he, gives, he gives Israel these signs of his intention for them. And, and he says, "Look, maybe they'll believe because of the signs. And if they believe because of the signs, then they'll then they'll actually maybe follow you out." And he shows those signs in Egypt. He shows them to Pharaoh. He shows them to the to the elders of Israel. He shows them to the people. He just show he just throws that seed everywhere. And and um, and, and the, again, the virtue and the light and the goodness of that seed shines as a testimony and a witness against the government that is there. It is, a, it, is a, it is a swift witness against Pharaoh, a witness against his land, a witness against his slavery, a witness against his nature, a witness against the bondage that he finds those people in. And so the light comes into the darkness. Now here, here's the thing that something actually begins to happen here. Uh, until that moment, until Moses comes in, or until the angels go into Sodom. Until the witnesses go into... The two witnesses go into... Or the two spies go into Jericho. Until that moment, all you have is a land completely governed by sin without hope in the world, as Paul says. And yet, when the seed shines in the day of visitation, in the in the shining of that testimony or witness, then, for the first time, there is a choice... Presented to that soul. There's a choice there. There wasn't a, I don't believe there was a choice before that light shines. I, I think that all of our choices are governed by darkness. But when something of a different nature testifies. Witnesses. Shines there. In the soul. Because seeds are being scattered. Seeds, the seeds of truth and grace and light. Then the soul is presented. With a choice. Now. Apart from that, there might have been what appeared to be before that seed testifies. There might have appeared to be good choices, like, like uh, you know, maybe a kid is presented with a choice to obey his parents or to rebel. But both of those can be motivated by the same nature. You know, the flesh might be given a choice to be nice to your neighbor or to or to be mean to your neighbor. But again, both of those can be totally motivated by self gain. But here is a different kind of choice. When the seed falls in the heart, it presents a different life. It presents another way. It presents a different kind. A, another view, another, another nature appears and testifies against it. It, it presents another king. It presents Moses with these signs, of uh, and, and, and the signs are a testimony. And what did, Mo, what did God say to, to Moses uh, before he even went into Egypt? He said, here will be the sign to you that you know that I sent you. You will return to this very same mountain, and, wor- and you will worship me with, with Israel. And, and that see, that's exactly what God was doing with that seed. He, he sends it out to bring it back to where it came from with an increase. Just like Isaac sent out Jacob to go get a wife and an increase and come back to his father. I mean, there's so many different pictures, and I don't want to get into all the types and shadows of this. I'm just trying to, again, just trying to paint a real basic, simple picture, because I'm a real simple guy, and this is how it, how it seems in my heart. So, the seed falls in the heart, and usually, so and the seed is presented presents the soul with, with a choice. And, and usually the seed, the light, the grace, as it appears in the soul, because of what it testifies against, the, the soul doesn't like it. This because the soul loves darkness. Light comes, but um, but the soul actually prefers darkness. It doesn't it doesn't like what the light shows it. it. It hates the light because its deeds are evil, and it wants to continue with its evil deeds. It wants. It actually it even recognizes that there's some good it, it can't help but recognize that there's some good in that appearance in that light in that testimony but and yet it can turn at, at that point it can turn from that light it it can it can re- reject that light hate the light because it wants to continue in the darkness and these are the seeds, in my opinion, that are sown onto the path. The seed testifies. It, it it witnesses, it presents a choice to the soul, but the soul rejects the choice. And the birds, Satan, who, who Jesus explains as Satan, quickly snatch up that seed. It doesn't penetrate. It doesn't actually bring forth any of its increase. God presents, now here, here again, God presents to the soul life and death blessing and curse. And it says choose life and live, just like Deuteronomy 30. It says today I set before you this is what this is the testimony of the seed in our heart. Today I set before you life and death. And before this setting before you, there's only Egyptian bondage. But then the light sh- shines and then there's a choice and, and 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 man chooses usually chooses darkness. I think that's Probably the case of of uh, the great majority of human beings, very sadly, and, and yet the, I don't think the Lord just throws one seed i don't think he just throws it one time either. I think he just keeps throwing it you know i don't, i don't know if there's a time where he finally gives up you know on throwing seeds and says, you know your heart is is you've hardened it so hard that there's there's nothing there's no hope you have despised you have you have insulted the spirit of grace, you have sinned against the spirit of grace." and there's no hope for you. You know, I don't know. It seems to me like some scriptures seem to talk about that. But, I don't think he just kind of throws one seed and gives up. I'm so thankful he didn't do that in my heart. Man. But, in other hearts, when this seed of light shines and testifies and reproves and offers grace, then there can be an agreeing with the testimony. Though, see though the soul is born twisted up and tangled up and filled with and defined by this nature of 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 sin and death this nature of satan it, and, and though it's born into darkness and slavery i believe that right here the lord the soul has an ability given to it by god and and there's something here that the soul can actually do when light shines it can agree with the testimony of the light. It can choose that light. It can believe Moses' signs and want to come out. It can, when God says, "Get out of your country, kindred, and father's house," it can, it can actually agree with that. It can accept that testimony about the land, country, and kindred. It can say, it can say to, Rahat, to the spies, as we talked about a few weeks ago, it can say. To the spies that came to Rahab and Jericho, you're right. This whole land deserves to be destroyed. <laughs> you're right. I agree. I'm going to paint the red. I'm going to put the put put the blood over my door. I'm going to put the scarlet cord over my house, and and I totally agree. It can say with as the witnesses come into Sodom and Gomorrah. It can say. You know what this whole land does deserve destruction. There's nothing worth saving here. You have to come out, you know. And 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 he'll he'll even help you come out. He'll put his he'll grab your hands like Lot and he'll try to lead you out, but he won't force you out. There's a choice there. There's something there's an ability given to the soul, a choice that I think you find on every page of the Bible from the first to the last. A choice that the soul then has there in the appearance of light to Receive uh, the testimony of the light, to receive the light of life. I think that choice is in the very first part of the Bible where Adam uh, was given a choice to eat one of two seeds. I think that choice is in the very end of the Bible where Jesus is clearly rebuking in Revelation churches, his own churches that he calls the church, rebuking his churches for not following and, not, and for losing their first love and for uh, walking away, uh, permitting false teachings and all those kinds of things. Jesus is rebuking them, not because he forced them to rebel, but because they rebelled against the appearance of light and everywhere in between. And maybe I'll get to that if I have time. So. This does not mean to me, and this is I think where the confusion maybe comes in, this does not mean that the soul has any inherent goodness. And I and I feel like that's, to me there's no contradiction there at all. I think it only, it doesn't have any goodness at all. I think what it has is a God-given ability to recognize the appearance of the one who is good. And when it recognizes that appearance, to follow to follow and agree with, or you could say obey, that appearance. Obey, follow, turn to, accept is the word Jesus uses. I'll get to that in a minute. Accept that testimony. Now, again, this doesn't mean that the soul has any residue of its unfallen state. I don't believe that. I just believe that the Lord has given it to the soul to choose life when life is presented to acknowledge light's testimony, to concede, to concur, to recognize, to admit, to agree that light is good and that everything in the soul is bad. I think that that's what the soul can begin to recognize. It recognizes it in increasing amounts, in increasing reality, but it it can recognize that. Now, there's several kinds of hearts... Soils that recognize, concede, um, agree, admit that the light is good and that they are evil. There are several different kinds, and, and uh, these souls permit to varying different de- to varying degrees and, and and for various times. They allow that seed to find some increase in their heart. Some receive it with gladness. But it grows only for a little while and then withers out because it doesn't have a root. And, and then, and then some receive the initial testimony of that light and they they, they agree. With, they say, "That's you know that's true. That's what it's saying is true. I'm guilty." You know, and and, and yet they're frightened by what it means to continue in that light. And so they turn back. They're frightened. They're scared away by where that light is going. Because that light comes in you with an agenda. It comes in you with a purpose. It doesn't come in you just wanting to hang out. It comes in you wanting to conquer the whole land and fill the whole thing and kill everything that was there. It doesn't want to leave anything alive. So the light has an agenda and the heart begins to see that agenda. And whether it's because of outward persecution or because of inward persecution, that word is abandoned. It, 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 that seed is abandoned, and the heart turns back to its familiar darkness. That's another kind of of of, um, of soil. And then, and then another soil or another kind of soil agrees with its testimony, keeps agreeing with that testimony, keeps turning to that light, and looking unto that light. And letting that light and grace become what fills the soul and puts to death the nature that has always reigned there. The life that has always been there. Filling the soul, the soil with its own fruit, with its own roots, with its own branches. And, 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 and so I think that that's basically what the parable of the sower and the seed is about. In this parable, Jesus says that the soil is the heart of man. Mark uh, four fifteen. He says that it's he's sowing the seed into hearts. And and this parable, as far as I'm concerned, is clearly a warning like many other parables and tons of other verses in the New Testament. I mean hundreds, and huge portions of the Old Testament, including almost entirely the prophets, are warnings about what the heart does with the appearance of the Lord. Okay? Jesus is, is clearly telling us in this parable, in his own words, that the heart can stumble because of persecution or contention that arises because of the implanted word. The heart can, uh, can initially receive the testimony, but then get caught up in quote, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. These are other things that the soul can permit or, or yield to or accept or turn to. These are things that can happen in the soul even after receiving the seed of grace, of light, of life. Okay, so getting back to the, to the original uh, question. What is good soil? Jesus says that the good soil is those who hear the word and accept it. This is a quote. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Good soil is not good because it, in, in its own nature or in its own kind or character. It has no spiritual goodness or righteousness to it or um, inherent goodness. He's not saying that Adam can be righteous in himself or possess anything of life or godliness in himself. I don't think that's at all implied in this parable. I believe that its goodness is only in the sense that it is it is permitting growth it is allowing growth it is becoming fertile for the growth of the seed the soul that has been enslaved to sin to death, to Adam, to darkness can accept I like that word that Jesus uses accept continue accepting what it sees in the light that's what makes it favorable for growth that's what makes it conducive to growth. It can accept, keep accepting, keep acknowledging, conceding, concurring, agreeing with the testimony of the light. Okay? And and, and, and yielding, as Paul says in Romans 6, or presenting itself to the incredible agenda, if I can use that word, of the grace that is within him, because the again the grace has a purpose. It's not there just you know to see if it can hang out with you. It's it's there with an incredible agenda. Joshua had an agenda in the land. David had David had an agenda in the land. A purpose, an expectation. There, the seed of God. Every seed has an incredible. You put a seed anywhere, any crack that it has a little moisture and a little dirt. And it's you start to see the agenda of that seed it doesn't want to it doesn't even it it doesn't care if it breaks up the entire soil and just, and and ruins you know whatever was living there it 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 wants to fill and grow and increase and for the soul, the only thing that makes a soul good soil again isn't inherent righteousness or goodness or godliness or anything like that it is. As Jesus says, the one that accepts the seed and allows its increase. Now, I I would even say that the willing of this, the willing of its, the, the 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 heart's even desire for that seed to grow comes from the seed too. I don't think it's even there before the seed arrives. I would go that far. I mean, with the accepting of the light's testimony in your heart, that's when arises in us an even greater will to come out with that life, with that seed, to come out with Abraham, with Moses, with the angels out of Sodom and Gomorrah, with the spies out of Jericho, with with an accept. It's when the light shines and the heart accepts and agrees with that. Then I feel like then you experience Him working in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. That that even comes from the seed. So, So that nothing good has its origin in the dirt. And yet, the soul that accepts the testimony of light, the soul that accepts the witness against sin, against evil, against Adam, against the world... Uh, finds flowing from that seed of grace and life and light an increased desire to follow. Good soil, I just wrote down a few sentences here. Good soil is soil that accepts its death. Because the light is showing it true life. I think that's what so much of what Jesus said in the in the gospels is about. Unless you are willing to lose your life, well there's a willing involved there. There's something. Jesus had appeared. Jesus is appearing. Unless you're willing to follow me, lose your life, give, give you know, sell all that you have, follow me, keep take, take up your cross, follow me. Lose your life, then, then you cannot be my disciple. So that 's what soil that is uh, favorable for the gross growth, growth of the seed does it, it is It accepts the testimony that says, "You must die, and I must live that's and the heart hears that and and usually runs away from that but the there's a kind of soil that says, "I agree, I must die, I must lose my life, I must follow Jesus." Uh, I must carry the cross. I must find all things in the seed because I have nothing good in myself. This is what what Jesus, I believe, is talking about in the Beatitudes. There are souls that have heard the testimony of that seed and said that, and, and and felt a hunger and thirst for righteousness that have begun to mourn because of uh, their their poverty poverty of spirit their absolute nothingness and they're reaching for they've they've heard that witness and they're reaching uh, their heart agrees with it and they're reaching for righteousness and truth and life. That's. That's what I think good soil is. Fertile soil has nothing of itself, nothing to boast in, but it allows the grace of God to be all things in it, bearing its fruit, bearing the fruits of His Spirit. Good soil is the soil that keeps turned to the Lord. It keeps. It fixes its eyes on things above. It It looks unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. It accepts the testimony, the grace of God that... That teaches it to deny ungodly lusts that wage war against the soul. It, it, it accepts the it keeps its heart fixed, looking at things above, not on things below, fleeing from everything that is of a contrary spirit to the one that has appeared. It it can produce nothing, it is nothing, but it continually looks to him who is everything and it does not look away. It doesn't just catch a glimpse and talk about what it saw. It keeps looking, it keeps accepting, it keeps permitting, it keeps yielding its members as slaves to righteousness, as instruments of righteousness. It does not yield itself any longer to the nature of sin that was its first master. It yields itself, Romans 6, presents itself to a new master because it has been handed over to a new king, a new master, and is learning to obey from the heart a new form of teaching to which it has been handed over. Romans six seventeen. So, this choice is presented to the soul when the Lord appears. And it's, and this choice is something that you find, again, you find it everywhere in the Bible. It's not just here in the parable of the sower and the seed, although that's the, that's the parable that I think uh, was the, was the cause of this conversation. But it's not just here in this parable. I really do believe it's on every page of the Bible in one way or another. Uh, I mean that I mean that literally, I really think it's probably clearly on almost if not every page, almost every page. Adam and Eve again were presented with a choice in the beginning it wasn't God didn't determine it he, he he it's not automatic; it was a choice to eat something to receive a seed and to bear its increase. Adam obviously chose to receive the wrong seed and became the increase of the wrong seed, but that 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 was a choice. Abraham was presented with a choice when the Lord appeared and called him out. Lot was presented with a choice, and and was and and I love the goodness of the Lord in that story of Lot because he said he like Lot wanted to go out and yet he was kind of slow and resistant and had a few excuses and the Lord grabbed him by the hand and 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 and, and helped him out you know and yet if he looked back then he would experience that death. He had the choice to look back too. His wife did look back and turned into a pillar of salt. Israel was presented a choice in, their, in the appearing of Moses in, in the land of Egypt and in the, the signs of God and the judgments of God. Should they leave Egypt or should they stay and find their inheritance among the dead? You know, and even after leaving, the Lord sets before them life and death and gives them a covenant, tells them to choose life. And, and God continually, over and over, hundreds of times, rebukes them and admonishes them and punishes them for their choice to love darkness. Their choice to harden their hearts and be stiff-necked and not let him circumcise their hearts and... and. Um, and bring them on into his purpose, on into his increase. So, I think that that's, as far as I, I can explain, and this, really as far as I'm willing to explain, I don't really want to get into all the objections and things. I just don't have a heart to do that. Let me say this, though. If somebody wants to say that all the soil is bad because Adam is bad, and I don't see how it can be good, and all, I, you know what, I don't want to argue with that. I agree with that. Uh, you know, it's sometimes it's often, it's often possible to say the same thing with different words, just as it's possible to say different things with the same words. Both of those are, are, happen, I think, all the time. And uh, it's not the mind of the Lord to try to make everyone say uh, the sa- things the same way. It is, however, the mind of the Lord to cause everyone to live in the same light and life and truth. Uh, words are weak and they always fall short. Um, and, and, and on the other side of that, people can say the exact same thing, the exact same words, and have completely different realities and lives, working in their hearts. And so, um, you know, you, you kind of have to back up a little bit and just let the Lord figure that stuff out and deal with hearts along those lines. Here's what here's what I don't here's what I think is important, and I and I don't agree with enough to say what, what I what I. I feel like it should be said, or I don't agree with enough to say it, to say it here, here's where I think it gets dangerous. One, the idea that God just automatically starts, increases, and finishes the work in souls without any cooperation on the part of the soul. I think that's not true. I think that God does not knock him on the head and in, 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 in Egypt drag them through the wilderness and throw them into the promised land. I don't think that's the picture we see. I don't see that happening anywhere in scripture. I don't believe it's like fatalism or determinism or all those different isms that kind of make it like automatic. I don't think that's true. And number two is I, I, don't, I don't agree with the idea that there's no conflict or warfare or resistance in our journey of growth, in our journey of... Um, from Egypt to the Promised Land, the heart's journey, the soul's journey from the one to the other. I believe there is great resistance and incredible warfare involved in that. Um, and, and I think that most people are generally aware of, of that, and, and I wouldn't argue against that because of their experience in their own heart. I mean, it's not worth probably arguing a whole lot about that. But I, 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 I do, I do hear that sometimes, and I, and I don't. I don't. I think that's a dangerous thing to, to contend for. It is true that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, but not against your will. Not, not if the soul does not accept the light, love the light, lose its life in the presence of the light, agree with the testimony of the light, uh, accept the seed that is thrown on the soil. I just, I just don't think that's true at all. Um, I feel like every story in the Old Testament and every letter of the New Covenant is a warning about this conflict that we face within. This, This warfare against the enemy, this tendency of the heart to sit down in the way. All the stories, both in the wilderness and in the promised land, were about a great contention against the eternal purpose of God for the children of Israel, for the land. And throughout the whole letter all the letters in the New Testament, you see Paul constantly trying to 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 help people not go back and not turn away and not drift away. And and he speaks of this warfare saying that our contention is not with flesh and blood, but against with spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And says, we are, you know, the enemy, Peter says, goes around like a roaring lion, seeking those to devour. And, and <clears throat> talks about how the Lord in us is seeking to cast down the kingdom of God. Our weapons are not carnal, but spiritual. And they he's casting down high places and high and, and imaginations and bringing the soul unto this perfect obedience. And, There's just so many scriptures. There are scriptures also that talk about how in Christ the enemy has been cast out. But that I believe those kinds of scriptures or or talk about the victory that's in Christ. And I absolutely believe that. But I believe that that victory and that that absence of Satan and his warfare is true in Christ and in the measure where or in in the government of Christ. In other words, that is true in in Christ and in the measure that he is reigning um, uncontested in my soul. But you can't take that and say, well, there's no, there's, there's, there's a perfect victory in Christ. And Christ said that in me, there is, uh, the enemy has no place and I have cast out the enemy in me. That's true. But you can't take what he said about him and apply it to your flesh and say that there's no contention there. Because the contention is exactly between those two. You see, to the measure that Christ is living and reigning and in your soul, then I agree there's no contention there, there's no enemy there, there's no sin there. That's why John says that if you, those who abide in, in him cannot sin, because there's no sin that is in him, there's no enemy in him. And yet, where he is not reigning, living, conquering, The soul, I believe that there is a great contention that the New Testament talks about all over the place. And we could go through and read 50 verses about that if you wanted to, but I don't really feel like most of you need any convincing about that because you experience it in your own hearts all the time. So God has all power, okay? He has all power, and yet this is the whole mystery of the kingdom, friends. This is the way that Jesus described it in all the parables. The kingdom of God has the power to be the greatest and only tree in the garden, but it starts as a grain of mustard seed. There's so many parables that are trying to describe that. He gives us a seed that can be overlooked. Someone says, "Well, how can anything fight against how can anything fight against Christ?" Because Not because something is stronger than Christ, but because he gives himself to the soul as a seed that can be overlooked or neglected or nullified. Just like the man Christ Jesus. He didn't come as uh, the emperor of Rome with a giant sword. He came as this weak, easily overlooked, despicable Baby born in a manger that had no comeliness in himself, as it says in in Isaiah fifty-two and fifty-three. Nothing that men could even would even recognize without the eyes of their heart wanting to. Grace is given, but grace is given in a form that can be trampled underfoot, uh, insulted, insulting the spirit of grace. It can be nullified. It can be ignored. That's what, the, again, the whole New Testament is a gigantic warning about that. And the whole book of Hebrews especially is a big warning about nullifying grace and turning back from following grace. Or Galatians too, that they had found another gospel except for the gospel of grace and they had turned back and the gospel of grace, the, the reign of grace, was no longer reigning in their hearts. So he gives us a light. That we can refuse. He gives us a light, as Jesus says in John chapter 3, that we can hate. Someone says, how can someone hate Jesus? I feel like it's the easiest thing to do. All you have to do is love your own life. You, he gives you a light that that um, you can refuse and you can prefer darkness. We are not stronger than he is, Obviously. But he presents us with a word that is like a mustard seed. And the soul must love his appearing. We have to look unto him. We have to accept his testimony. We have to accept his witness. We must resist the devil and he will flee from us. Another one that has to do with that. We have to allow him to cast down in us our strongholds and imaginations. We must not be conformed to the pattern of this age, but must allow him to transform us. Putting off one man by the renewing of our mind and putting on another. There's a great contention there. There's a great conflict that goes on in the soul. And and the Lord is stronger. The Lord is, is mighty. And yet we must be those who turn to him, love his appearing, and follow him out of the one into the other. So I'll stop with that.